started then. Um, all right, we're going live and we're definitely going live and we're going extremely live because we have very interesting locations, very interesting time zones and a lot of other things we're going to be talking about today. Welcome everyone to live stream number 80 of the Data on Kubernetes community. As always, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. If you are new to the Data on Kubernetes community, please check us out on LinkedIn, on Twitter, we're in lots of different places. We're also on Instagram, you can check us out there. Um, and, but most importantly, this is uh, your time uh, to, be, to be sharing with us your, your doubts, your curiosities, your interests, etc. So please feel free to ask questions. Um, you can always ask questions here in the chat. Uh, we can continue the conversation later on in Slack. Just a quick reminder, um, because I've been saying this a lot, we have our CFP open for our KubeCon co-located event that will be on October 12th and you are all invited. Um, registration is now open but I'll leave a link here for the CFP in case you would like to submit a talk. If you want to submit a talk, just two basic criteria. It needs to be focused on writing stateful workloads on Kubernetes, right? Databases, operators, all that good stuff. And we want it to be incorporated in end user focus, right? To avoid just strict vendor pitches, but those are the only two things we need to keep in mind. That being said, today I'm joined by two wonderful people that are very, very far away, right? It is 8.30 in the morning here in Spain and it is definitely a different time where the two of them are. Um, Brad and Adam, can you just briefly introduce yourselves, tell everybody where you're at and what we're going to be, what, I don't know, maybe a fun fact. Before we start getting into technical stuff, I'd like to know a fun fact about each one of you. So Adam, why don't you go first? Also muted. I'm Adam Gardner. I'm uh, day job is an automation architect at um, at Dynatrace, and in my spare time and for fun, I guess you'd say uh, I help contribute to the Captain community, which is what we're here to talk about today. Uh, fun fact: you put me on the spot there. Um, I do like scuba diving, as I put in my bio, and I guess the fun fact is, after two years of working remotely, I still can't figure out how to unmute myself on a Zoom call. <laughs> super funny because we were talking about that when we got started we're talking every, you know almost every day about you know running data on kubernetes the kubernetes ecosystem but it's these basic you know regular day-to-day -day technologies that seem to give us far more problems you know and more difficulties uh, to troubleshoot um so if there are any zoom experts out there there are lots of jobs waiting for you because these things are still giving us a hard time all right brad can you introduce yourself and let us know a fun fact sure um so my name is Brad McCoy. I'm head of um, cloud engineering at Moolah, and that's in Melbourne, Australia. I'm actually living in New Zealand at the moment, though. And um, yeah, I'm here today. Adam's been mentoring me in Captain, so we're almost doing a bit of a world tour around communities. So we're starting with Doc, um, which is my favorite one, by the way. Oh, and then we're, the second one, we will go to um, the CNCF Islamabad. Nice. And then um, doing a bit of a world tour around the communities, um, talking about Captain, learning a lot of cool stuff on the way, meeting some cool people. So, yeah, it, it's uh, good to follow us on the adventure. And fun fact, um, I've probably been in the doc community for about maybe eight months a year. Yeah. And Bart and I probably talk once a week. And this is the first time we're actually speaking or let alone video. So, yeah, so it's really exciting to be here. And, yeah. For sure, for sure, for sure. Very good points. That's true. And Brad is a is a DOK, is a doc veteran. I mean, if we, if we think about it that way, like that's we've been around for for just over a year, and you've been very, very active. And I think that's it's just a nice it's a nice way to sort of show the the spirit of community and all the different people that I've met because of you, people that we've interacted with together in the community. It's been very good. 
I will also say a fun fact about Brad, he has very good taste in music. Um, Adam, we'll have to talk about your taste in music later on. Um, but Brad has been giving me some, giving some great references of, of bands that I definitely wouldn't have heard of. Um, so that's always fun too. That's one of the nice things about community is it really is about the people, you know, like, and just, just out of curiosity, how do you two know each other? I understand geographically speaking, you're relatively in the same neighborhood, but how did, how did this come about? Yeah. So um, Adam works for Dynatrace. I, I've been, I'm a big fan of Dynatrace as well. So um, we, we meet through mutual friends. Um, it, they have a conference called perform go so um we we met there and then yeah we just we're big in sort of the sre space as well so um through mutual friends of dynatrace and then just um now in different communities so adams and captain i'm in ortelius and we're actually looking at um joining them together as an integration piece as well which is quite exciting also Oh, very, very good. So um, uh, during this world tour, there may be some exciting news of, of these things getting closer and closer together. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, good. Um, one thing really quickly that you mentioned there, Brad, and both of you can kind of answer this as an intro um, before we get started. We're talking about SRE. You know, like there's a lot of talk about SRE. There are books, there's groups, there's Google, there's this, there's that. Um, and, 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 and then also uh, SRE being compared and contrasted with DevOps. Um, so is one... Is Ethereum is one a person and another is a style? Is it a this or a that? How do the, the two of you explain it when you have to explain this to beginners? We can start with you, Adam, and then Brad, you can feel free to chime in. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, actually, because day to day, um, those terms are very fluid. And um, I find that they mean whatever people want them to mean in a, in a lot of ways. Um, people have sort of just given themselves SRE or DevOps title in the role but um yeah I, th I think the industry needs um help defining that but but i think brad would be the best one to uh, i mean that's your role isn't it brad so um it's it's in it's it's an evolving space let's put it that way it's yeah fun. but i think that's good and also so that everyone understands that, that like how we're talking about it today you know there are sre principles they talk about these pillars we talk about things like that but uh it is something that's still evolving you know devops you could say is is still evolving in, in some regard although it's something that we've been hearing more about or we've heard about for a longer period of time yeah but brad what would you what would you like to comment on I think um, in a lot of the Google books that they bring out, they say that SRE implements DevOps. So that, that's quite a big thing if, if you Google that, SRE implements DevOps, and that will give you quite a good understanding of, of those differences of what they are, those two are. Um, for me, you know, site reliability engineering, it's not about putting out fires and then not fixing the issue and band-aid fixing it. So you want to be, it's about making tomorrow a better day. So the incident comes up, you see the incident, and instead of just fixing it, you're going to improve it so it doesn't happen again. So, so that's the difference. It's that automation. And that's where I see Captain coming into that as well, because um, you, you'll notice there's a lot of, uh, or pronounced Captain, but it, it's almost like an automated engineer that's doing these tasks for you as well. So um, yeah, it's, it's an exciting new space that, well, it's probably not new anymore, but there's a lot of opinion about it. And yeah, that, that's sort of my take on SRE. And I thought just before we start as well, I think there might be a little bit of um, glossary. So there could we need to talk about SLAs, SLOs, SLIs. So, so yeah. they'll probably come up in today's talk. So SLA is the agreement you make with your clients or users. So 
let's say I'm going to tell the doc community that my microphone will be 99% working on this talk. And then you have SLO, which is the objective your team must hit to meet that agreement. So Adam will talk a lot about the SLOs um, today because that, that's a big part of the captain. And SLI is the, the real numbers of your performance. So the service little level indicators. So if anyone throughout the talk needs a bit of um, us to explain that more, just please let us know because if you're starting off, it can be a little bit confusing with all those S's going around. <laughs> for, for sure, for <laughs> sure, for sure. I just put both the links to uh, the SRE implements DevOps as well as uh, our project oh, awesome. SLA, SLO, SLI. But I definitely think it'll be important to sort of unpack those uh, to get a better idea about about what the differences are, uh, what, why those are important as well. One thing is the what and the how, but also the why. Um, so anyway, we can get on to that on the go. That being said, uh, if you wanna, I don't know if one of you wants to share your screen, uh, we can start the presentation if you're ready. Yeah, sure. Okay. Adam, you wanna go? Yeah, I shall. And the obligatory, let me know when you can see it. Perfect. Cool. Okay, so um, yeah, today we're going to talk uh, a brief introduction about Captain, uh, pronounced Captain, not Captain. Um, uh, the reason it's called that is because that is the German phonetic pronunciation of Captain and sticking with the whole Kubernetes and containers and the nautical theme, uh, the original Developers of the project thought, well, let's stick with the nautical theme and call it Captain. So I'm still waiting for my captain's hat, Jürgen. Um, just a shout out there, but there we go. Um, so what is what is Captain and, and why would you consider using it? So as Brad said, and as I experience on a day-to-day -day basis, there are a lot of different ways to do things. And what we're trying to do is give you a helping hand, basically. So... Um, it's an event-based control plane, warning a lot of buzzwords in this, um, and I'll unpack these as we go through, but it's an event-based control plane for continuous delivery and automated operations. Um, it provides DevOps and SRE automation for cloud-native applications. Again, as I promised, a lot of buzzwords. Basically, what that means is we're trying to build a tool that gives you sensible defaults and some core capabilities out of the box. So think about modeling pipelines, think about how do I, between the stages of my, uh, as my application goes from dev to staging to production, how do I ensure quality of those microservices? How do I prevent the microservice going from dev to staging or staging to production if it is not sufficient quality? Uh, how can I put a gate in there to actually prevent that? And once it is in production, how can I actually, if, a, if an issue does go wrong, how can I, again, have some sort of magic tool uh, to, to roll that back if it goes wrong? How can I fix that application in production? So some of the guiding principles of Captain um, are... It must be open, and of course, Captain is open source, but what we mean by that actually is that it's open to other tooling. Captain isn't prescriptive, um, deliberately so, isn't prescriptive in what tooling you are using. You are gonna be using your best fit tooling for whatever you and your company think. Captain is not gonna come across and say, 
that's wrong, you must use X, Y, or Z instead. In fact, Captain does the exact opposite, and it says, bring your own tooling and we will work with it. Everything, again, must follow a GitOps approach, another buzzword, but basically what we're saying here is every change that Captain makes must be um, stored in ultimately in a Git repository as the source of truth. And as I've said, uh, we're, we're, you'll, you'll see this later on, but we're going to give you some guide rails for DevOps and SRE in terms of sensible defaults for things, but also pre-built capabilities like the uh, quality gates. So there are three uh, core use cases for Captain. And the first one actually starts before you've even onboarded your application. So you know, as a good engineer, uh, DevOps or SRE engineer, you're going to need observability of that application. So Captain will actually go ahead and set up your monitoring and observability for you. It will create all of the necessary bits of configuration. Uh, if necessary, it will create the alerts, it will create dashboards, so that when you do start onboarding your application, you have visibility on day one. The next use case is, uh, as I say, kind of multi-stage delivery with these SLO-driven quality gates in between the stages. So the way this works is you tell Captain what your environment looks like and what your service level objectives, as in um, my endpoint must, 99% uh, of the calls to my endpoint must respond in less than uh, two seconds or something. Um, and then you give your deployment definition, as in what you're going to deploy through this multi-stage pipeline, and Captain handles the rest. It will go and deploy your artifact. It will um, test your artifacts using whatever tooling you bring for testing, and it will stop that artifact if the artifact doesn't meet your quality criteria in between those stages. Adam, real quickly, just a, just a quick question. Mm -hmm. um, so looking at this, this uh, topic of service level objectives, where do these come from? Are these things that are designed by an SRE team? They're designed together with a customer. They're designed by the CTO. Who's normally, who's, who are the stakeholders that are involved in designing those? That's an excellent question. Um, usually a bit of, of everyone. Um, they're, they're typically technical. Um, the, people start thinking they're technical metrics, but actually better quality SLOs really focus on the user contract, the user experience. So think front end. And again, there are books written on this topic and there are whole conferences about SLOs. Um, but as if you're just starting out, think about what you're trying to achieve with that microservice. So if it's a, a, a shopping basket API, what are the common things that you want to achieve? Uh, get the items in the basket, checkout, et cetera, et cetera. Focus, start your journey there and then expand from there. If, if you're starting with things like CPU and memory consumption, you're probably not um, in the right ballpark, if that makes sense, because they're, more, they're important metrics, but they're not necessarily technical metrics because they don't necessarily correlate to a user impact. They might. Um, but yeah, try and focus initially, at least, on the user um, impacting items. Very, very good. Thank you. 
Cool. So the third use case, um, as I said, now we're shifting into production. So imagine your microservice has made it all its, all its way through uh, the pipeline and you're running quite happily. And then you have a problem. So two things you need here, you need uh, an alert or a problem source from somewhere, and you need to provide Captain with a remediation sequence. And basically that remediation sequence defines what happens when you receive this problem. So in this uh, slide, what we've got here is a problem gets fed in from another system. Captain will go away and say, okay, I, I have a remediation sequence that uh, I have to trigger. So I'm gonna, I know to trigger a scale up of the pods, for example. Then Captain will wait a little while and it will evaluate the SLOs that you, again, that you've defined previously. And Captain is basically with that saying, has the scale up fixed the problem? And if so, of course, everything is fine. The problem's remediated. And if not, what is next in my remediation sequence? Do I do another scale up event? Do I do something else? Do I escalate it to and create a ticket? What is the kind of workflow involved with that? So the idea here is that we're trying to automate uh, problem fixes in production. So again, give humans bandwidth uh, to actually kind of solve the, the really difficult problems. Any questions from anyone on those core use cases? No, I think, yeah, thinking about that once again is that in in seeing this, I mean, and also just for a timeline sake, how you know how long has it been? How long has uh, you know Captain been going on as a project? And in what what have been the sort of learnings from seeing this? Because one thing is, is the initial idea of this is what we want to do, and then you start I don't you know then you start you know getting things on the ground and, and seeing how how folks are reacting. How how has that timeline worked out, and what have been the things the the core kind of uh, we can say feedback that you've been getting along the go that's maybe helped you to iterate? Yeah, um, we started. So the the project started I think uh, two years ago, if I'm not mistaken, um, and we started with a very we tried to be quite prescriptive in the way that we opinionated, I guess is, is the word. Um, so we tried to say, right, this is how you should work. But actually the, the feedback from the community has been, that's great. And they're, they're great for guide rails. So if I'm brand new, you can basically install captain in the demo mode and it'll, it'll guide you to like a, a nicely set up system with your, your stages of your pipelines. And it'll suggest kind of, It'll guide you to good quality gates and good SLOs. But of course, everyone wants much bigger um, flexibility in that. So just in the latest uh, release of Captain 0 0.8, we've, we've expanded that greatly so that you can basically create your own sequences and you can really, really be flexible in what Captain is doing and when it is doing it and how things are triggered. So that's kind of the biggest piece of... Um, feedback and, and, and change that we've had recently. All right, perfect. Cool, so, um, I yeah, yeah. No. Uh, I said at the beginning that Captain is bring your own tooling and obviously that, that begs the question of, well, how does that actually work? Um, how, how can we have such a flexible um, mechanism that, that allows just any tool to kind of plug into it? So three, there are three kind of logical 
layers to this. The captain control plane, which is kind of the central brains, is the API layer. It's all the, um, you know, it holds the definition of the environment. And then on the right-hand side, you've got your tooling. So uh, this is the execution plane, and this is where your tooling lives. Now that can be Kubernetes-based, of course, uh, or it can actually be non-Kubernetes-based. So uh, in that respect, if you've had a, a service that was listening to the API, you could you can use this, um, you can use Captain without Kubernetes. Um, the control plane still needs to be deployed on Kubernetes, but but the execution planes can live outside. But in any case, the the glue that sticks these together are open source cloud events. So everything that happens in Captain is basically a cloud event that that, that gets triggered, and they have a certain syntax. And it is obviously SH Captain event, whatever event triggered. And of course, there is a life cycle where the event say started, in progress, finished. So that's the responsibility of your services. So basically, what happens is your services listen for these events and they put their hand up effectively and say, you know what, I know how to do that. Let me go in and handle that event, and I'm going to signal back to the control plane when I'm done, and then Captain can carry on its workflow. Okay, real quick uh, question, Adam. Um, someone mm -hmm. in the audience asked, hi, can I replace pager duty with Captain, or is the other story? Um, pager duty with Captain, so yes, and, and no, it's a bit... <laughs> I, I would be using page duty with Captain, to be honest. What I would do there is have um, page duty listening for, so I would feed my problem events into Captain and then let have uh, page duty becomes an orange box on this screen. It will be listening for those events. So Captain will be orchestrating the workflow. And that, because what happens in the future if you change page duties to something else, this model gives you that flexibility to just uninstall the page duty service and install tool X. All right. Great. Thank you. So skipping back now that we've got a kind of uh, view of, of how Captain is working, the automated observability. That is the command that you run, obviously, the Captain CLI to configure monitoring. So you say, Captain, configure monitoring, Prometheus, Dynatrace, whatever tool that you bring. Again, um, we can work with any observability or monitoring tool. In the case of Prometheus, what Captain will then go away and do is start configuring Prometheus for monitoring services managed by Captain. It will configure um, grabbing the alerts from Alert Manager, translating those alert payloads into the open source cloud events. It will then sound, send those uh, standardized cloud events to the Captain API. And of course, it can then retrieve your service level indicators as in your metrics. It can go and scrape them from Prometheus itself. So the next use case, uh, the multi-stage delivery with quality gates. Basically, every, you start Captain with a shipyard file, again, staying with the nautical theme. Uh, a shipyard file defines your stages, and they are analogous to a, uh, your pipeline stages, your sequences, which are broad sequences of tasks, and then obviously you have tasks. So this is an example of, of defining stages. It's just a YAML file. There's nothing magical there. 
So you can see I've got the dev stage, uh, your stage, and then production. And you can add as many stages as you like to define your delivery. Then you go in and add the sequences. So these, again, are broad sequences of things. So you might have a deployment sequence, for example. And then within the sequences, you have tasks. So task one, task two. So in my deployment, I might do uh, uh, generate some load, run a test, evaluate my deployment, um, and so on and so forth. They would be at the task level. So then we'll have, notice uh, one thing, that in the shipyard file, we deliberately don't mention any tooling. We don't say, go and do a deployment with Helm, go and test with tool X. And that's deliberate because we want to separate those concerns. So the shipyard is purely about um, the what, what you're trying to achieve. And then the tooling that achieves that comes later. And the tooling comes later by listening to those task events. So task triggered. So in this case, I have a stage called dev, my sequence is delivery, and my deployment task is the task. So as a human or a pipeline or um, via the API, you actually ask Captain to trigger the dev.delivery sequence. And then Captain will go ahead and go, okay, cool. I know what to do with that. I'm going to do the start the deployment task. And it is that task that your tooling listens for. And that's how you get the flexibility to change your tooling at will. Because if you don't no longer want tool A, you just uninstall that, uh, that, that microservice and install a different one and your shipyard and everything else stays the same. So what that actually looks like is something like this. You have the control plane sending out the deployment triggered event and the Helm service puts its hand up and says, yes, I know how to do uh, a deployment. And if you don't want that, you can, of course, just uninstall Helm and install a different tool. Thought there was a question there. No, with that in mind, yeah, just 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 quick question for the sake of being devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. um, uh, has it been tested? No, it's, it's always curious with tooling. Is that with with using Helm? Have you have you tried it with uh, another tool like Customize? I haven't personally. Uh, I'm not sure someone in the community may have out there. Yeah. No, no, obviously, I, I know that, you know, Helm, very, there's very, very strong support behind it. Um, but just, no, just to, like I said, just for the sake of comparison, like you said, if it, if it seems to be available and flexible with that, then that, that should be more than enough. Yeah. Okay, quality gates. Uh, this, to, to Brad's point earlier in the call, this is where we get into the technicalities of SLIs, SLOs, SLAs, and all that good stuff. So you need three things for the captain quality gates. And the quality gates themselves are actually pre-built into captain. So you get that kind of for free as you install captain. So the first thing you need is an SLI, an indicator provider. And that is basically where are my metrics coming from? So Prometheus, Dynatrace, whatever uh, source the metrics are coming from. Then you need to tell captain how to interact or what those SLIs Oh, so in this case, uh, we've defined two. We've got a, a 50th percentile and a 90th percentile. And you'll see here uh, that this is Prometheus. Um, this, so this is basically telling Captain how to retrieve those metrics from Prometheus. Now, of course, this will be different 
syntax, depending on your tooling provider. Then you go ahead and create an SLO definition, which says, okay, in my SLO, I'm going to have, in this case, one indicator, my 90th percentile response time. Now, if, Captain, if when you retrieve this metric, if it is less than or equal to plus 10%, and I'll come back to this in a moment, um, and an absolute value of less than 1,000 milliseconds, then for this metric, it's a pass. If it's obviously above 1,000 milliseconds and plus 10%, but less than 1,200 milliseconds, this SLI is in a warning state, and of course, above warning, it's failed. And you go ahead and you build up your SLO in that respect. So you, you would probably in reality have many, many SLIs in your uh, SLO definition. Now, the less than or equal to 10%, Captain keeps a history of every evaluation that it runs. And what's actually happening here is it's looking at the past previous three builds and averaging those results. So that's where the 10% comes from. It's basically looking at the previous evaluations and saying, if I'm within 10% of those, I'm within a pass criteria. Then what Captain will do is it will go and it will give you a score for each SLI and it will give you a total score for the build itself. So the build gets a pass, a warning or a fail criteria. Uh, and by the way, when I say build, I actually mean evaluation. So you can run these evaluations on demand. Um, and you get a, a pass warning or a fail, and you get a percentage. And here you see that uh, if my total score for this evaluation is above 90%, then it's a pass. It's good enough quality to progress to the next stage. And then, of course, with that result, you can use that however you see fit. You can use that um, in other pipeline tools like, like Jenkins or um, to, to progress the build or fail the build. And if you're using Captain to manage your artifact, that is automatic. So if your artifact fails, of course, it will stop uh, the, the artifact progressing to the next stage. Real quick question here. Um, just on the, mm -hmm. once again, going to uh, the, the center of SLOs, SLAs, SLIs. Uh, is it ever, this might sound really silly, but you know, from a customer perspective, uh, would someone ever say, well, I don't want 99%, I want 100%. Um, you know, why am I, you know, am I, why am I paying for something that you're, you're telling me is going to fail with a certain degree of frequency? Um, how do you, how do you package that and, and still convince someone that this is, you know, a valid technology? If I can it's like anything, if you're, yeah, 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 go for it, Brad. <laughs> Um, so I've had this experience quite a bit and it comes back to your, your maybe second question regarding who defines these SLIs, SLOs. Yeah. As soon as you start letting your customer do that, that's when you really get into trouble as well, because, um, let's say for example, you're going to say, I want to be a hundred percent. Well, if, if my internet provider only says that I'm going to give your business, let's say 99.96, you can never be truly 100% um, available. So I, I guess a lot of it comes down to other factors that aren't your business, you know, like um, other providers as well. But um, the most I've heard for 
the SLA, I think, is on the Amazon S3 bucket, which is, I believe it's 99.9 um, and 8 nines or 11 nines of availability, which is quite crazy, of durability. Um, I don't know if that answers the question, but... Oh, no, I no, guess. no. I think, no, it's very helpful because yeah. it's just, you know, in particular thinking, you know, depending on, on the, the type of business, you know, classic examples of... You know, if, uh, you know, Black Friday, uh, Cyber Monday, Singles Day, these sort of, you know, peak times when, you know, there's going to be a lot of traffic. Like you said, what is the, you know, what can the internet service provider say? What I'm also getting at here as well, too, is that while SRE is very much a technical role, this, you know, these key business concepts that have to be kept in mind and obviously direct contact with the customer and having, you know, one thing is to understand it, but another thing is the importance to be able to explain it, put it in simple terms and show them what... Because, you know, it's like, uh, you know, why am I going to buy, uh, you know, a product that that you're telling me directly is going to fail? I guess it also just goes to show that many, very often in life, we're told that all of our products are perfect, when in reality, there will be some, you know, degree of failure. Um, but 99% is still <laughs> pretty good when it comes to reliability. Anyway, very good answer. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think also what you said regarding... Black Friday, that's a really good use case for Captain. So that closed loop remediation where um, Captain will see the issue and then it can actually remediate by, uh, it can toggle a feature flag to say, um, let's say, let's say you do a crazy marketing campaign for Black Friday. You, you put strain on, let's say, database calls. Um, Captain can then as a remediation process, it can remove that future flag to stop that um, stuff as well. So that's actually quite a good use case for for Captain when you're doing like crazy marketing uh, promotions as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Good segue into my next uh, couple of slides, <laughs> Brad. Well done. Well done, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's just on the screen there. That that's basically a, a visual of of the workflow here. So you are asking for an evaluation. Captain will go away and grab the metrics from whatever tooling provider you you bring, um, evaluate those SLOs and SLIs, um, and basically return a result. And you can then use that um, in however you see fit. So yeah, to your point, Brad. Um, closed group remediation needs three things. The problem event, of course, from Captain itself or a third-party provider funneling in those events. And then you bring, uh, you write a remediation action YAML file again. Um, And basically this one is saying, okay, when I get a problem type of response time degradation, so when my response time degrades, what am I going to do about it? Well, I'm going to toggle a feature flag and I'm actually going to toggle the feature flag to be off. So I'm going to disable that promotion because for some reason that promotion has caused an issue. And then of course you need a tool to actually kind of be able to action this because Captain itself isn't a a remediation provider. So you bring your tooling, you bring whatever you want, ServiceNow, Unleash, Helm to scale things or or whatever tool you you want to provide. Again, the kind of workflow of that, you've got your incoming problem into captain's control plane. And this is kind of the page duty uh, aspect of what I was picturing before. And then captain sends the action dot triggered. So do do an action 
Um, and the Unleashed server says, yeah, I know how to do that action. I'm going to turn that feature flag off as an example. So with that said, that's the basics of Captain. And I'll jump into uh, the live demo. So everything about Captain can be found on captain.sh. And of course, I'm not going to go through all this, but you can follow these links. Um, you can get started with Captain. There's, there's about a three or four line copy and paste install script, and it'll get you up and running. Um, if you follow this link through, you basically get to this Captain's Bridge, which is the UI. And what you see here are four projects. Um, so let's have a look at the Litmus project. So the Litmus project has one stage. Remember, the stages model your um, dev staging or production, but you can use that in any way you see fit. In this case, we've got a single stage that we're running chaos tests in. And if I flick to the sequences, first of all, have a look at one that passed. So what's happened here is someone or something has asked Captain to start the delivery sequence. Now, if we, uh, I'll just jump back quickly. Uh, you can see that there's an upstream Git repo here. So I'll show you this. As I said, everything, uh, everything comes back to the shipyard file. So we have a single stage here called chaos. Zoom in slightly. Uh, and there's a sequence called delivery. And then there are a number of tasks, deployment with some properties, um, and then a test task, and then finally an evaluation task. So we, as humans, would say to Captain, please, Captain, start the delivery sequence in the chaos stage. And that's exactly what you're seeing here. Um, and then Captain says, yep, cool, I know how to do that. I'm going to do, I'm going to start the deployment. And again, there's no secrets. Captain sends the open source cloud event, which is basically a JSON payload. Um, and the event type is deployment triggered. And if I drop this down, you'll see that actually the Helm service is listening for that deployment triggered event. The Helm service has put its hand up and says, yep, I know how to do a deployment. Let me go away and do that. And then Helm comes back and says, yep, yeah, I'm passed. I've successfully deployed your artifact. Then flick back to uh, the shipyard file. So we're done with the deployment. What do we do next? We do the test. So Captain automatically knows to trigger that test.triggered event. And what happens there? Some other tooling puts its hand up and says, I, I know how to do a test. I know how to respond to that event. And in this case, two services have actually put their hand up. So you can have multiple services listening for the same event. So you can build really, really complicated workflows um, with any tooling that you provide. In this case, Litmus and JMeter have put their hand up and said, I know how to do something here. Um, and JMeter starts a performance test, as does Litmus. Litmus Chaos starts a chaos experiment, and then they finish. And then, again, following back to the shipyard, we now do the evaluation task. And that is a kind of built-in task in Captain, as I say, to do the quality gate evaluation. 
So the lighthouse service is something you get out of the box with Captain. And it basically, that's what does all of the work. Um, and there we see the get SLI and there's the Prometheus SLI service going and retrieving the metrics from Prometheus. And what you get at the end of this, you can see the evaluation in this case passed and we got a score of 100%. If I flick into the nice UI for the evaluation and scroll down, see these are my metrics that I'm looking at. These are the values that we pulled back out of Prometheus and these are the criteria. So any metric less than 200 milliseconds in this case is a pass. And of course we, we met that. So we passed and we got a score and everything was good. So here you're seeing a history of every evaluation that Captain has run. You see the result of each individual SLI. So one SLI can fail and one can pass. And then, but then, as I say, Captain will sum that up and give you a, an overall score for the build. And so as a tooling would, would usually respond to this event. Um, so it, to progress or fail the build, you'd be looking at the total score. But as a DevOps engineer or as a, as a, a developer, you probably want to know, well, how is my metric on this evaluation? So, and you can see that as well. In this case, though, everything was good. Everything was green. So we pass the build, and that's why everything's green. If I flick back to one of these sequences that failed, doesn't mean that Captain failed. It means actually, you see the zero here, the evaluation failed. And I can jump into here and see exactly why the evaluation failed. And in this case, both of the metrics didn't meet my quality criteria, and therefore the evaluation failed. So that's Captain in a nutshell with the uh, quality gate evaluations. Were there any uh, questions yeah. in the chat box? Oh, I had a couple of questions. In in terms of yeah. uh, you know installation, getting everything running, you know, particularly we're thinking about uh, people that are getting started out. Obviously, there's a community to support this, so if people have doubts, they can they can address that there. What seems to be what seem to be some of the common challenges that people have when starting to work with something like Captain? Brad, you've. Uh... You yeah, I suppose this is, I suppose getting this is where involved in, exactly. in Captain. Yeah, yeah I yeah, suppose this yeah. is where Brad's experience is going to be very relevant, right? Um, <laughs> Brad, is, as a, you know, because can you just tell us about when you started using it and the things that you found, um, or perhaps that you didn't take into consideration or different experiences that you've had um, with other kinds of technologies? How's that been for you? Yeah, I guess when I started, I deployed it with Argo CD. And then I guess one thing is Captain's quite CLI focused. So I would almost like it to be a little bit more declarative. I'm not sure if that's on the roadmap, but I found that I was, you know, generally I like to have everything defined in, in Git, but um, I found that I was using the CLI a little bit, uh, not, not too much, but um, I, I guess there's a little bit of CLI work in there as well. But apart from that, it, it's really, really good. Okay. 
So you would say you would say that you know maybe for for folks that are new digging in a little bit to some CLI uh, research beforehand would be would be worthwhile. Uh, I, I guess I'm not saying that like the CLI is really good. Um, I I would just like to if it was like a like a Kubernetes object where you can just deploy that YAML for everything instead of having to run the CLI sometimes. Maybe you even can, but um, I felt that there's a little bit of CLI work in there. But I'm sure that's on the roadmap to to give you both both options in a yeah. declarative way instead of imperative. And also, Brad, from your perspective, imagining that something like Captain didn't, you know, didn't exist, you know, what what would that, what would, you know, the current situation look like in the sense of the amount of time, the, the questions of coordination, the, the processes that are simplified by, by Captain, you know, I know it might be difficult to quantify an exact number of hours, but mm. um, how would you imagine that? Yeah, I think, um, you, you almost can quantify at least not only not the hours, but the percentage. If you look at the the puppet, I think state of DevOps report that just came out really recently, that will tell you a lot about what organizations are facing, like what problems they're having. And they talk about percentages around downtime, fixing issues. Um, it kept them will really help those values go down. So, um, in terms of yeah it just really gives you that automation and, and not having to manually you know ring some up in the middle of the night and it takes them a while to sign onto the computer and 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 find these issues it's really good to automate the, those issues and that remediation yeah it's, it's one of the things and you know when, when we hear names you know things like pager duty and stuff like that in the past working with uh um working very closely with uh devops teams not being on one myself and one of the major things is, okay, I, I have two phones and it's not because I'm a drug dealer, it's because I'm on a call. <laughs> and, I, you know, and so, and, 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 and there are different things there. One thing is, is the technological factor, but then the other thing is, yeah, if you had it three in the morning, you've got to wake up and you got to start, you know, addressing something on unlimited, you know, amount of sleep and how you're going to be able to calculate things, having something that's simplifying those processes, I think obviously is doing a great deal of good in a technological mm. as well as in a human sense. I imagine that both of you have probably spent late nights working on things um, and uh, plenty of, you know, horror stories to go around with that at the most inopportune times when things, when things happen. But whether it's Christmas or New Year's or any one of these other special days, people have to be monitoring that. And perhaps at those times even more when there's, you know, classic example talking about downtime and, and also chaos engineering is a Netflix example where I, I believe it was Christmas Eve um, and shut down, you know, all of a sudden everyone has to talk to their in-laws, you know, it's like a terrifying experience. So, but, but like I said, is it, but there is, but there's a, a very good, you know, reason um, behind why these things need to be reliable and hence the name site reliability engineer. Um, one thing I want to take this a little bit is that in, in our community, a new, a new role that we're seeing more and more is the database reliability engineer. Do you feel that a lot of these principles in terms of the, you know, the, the pillars of SRE, when we talk about observability metrics and things of that nature, and also SLOs, SLIs, SLAs, also will be applying to, there is a book about DBRE, I haven't read it yet, I know I need to, um, but do you imagine that there will be a similar sort of approach on some things, albeit we're dealing with, you know, separate tech, uh, stacks in some cases, what do you think about that? I actually went to a doc talk on that. So um, I think his name was Patrick. Yes. The last KubeCon. Yes, yes, yeah. Wow. Exactly about that. Yeah. <laughs> this was not planned, um, by the way. I'm not paying yeah. Brad to say that, but yes, it's true. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause I actually listened in on that cause that was one of my, um, my interests and he, I think we should uh, post a link for that cause he, he described that very, very well. I think I even commented on it um, after he finished it. That was a really good talk. Yeah. But um, the answer is yes. I, I see that, um, that SRE getting into that, that, that data space as well. And, and, especially when we're doing, you know, we're hearing all these names like data ops, ML ops, it, it's really starting to integrate or, or shift left, if you like, into that, those other teams, which is really cool to see. Yeah. No, so I, you yeah, can start sure. seeing the team topologies where instead of having a traditional, just a data, um, like data engineering team, you will have one DevOps engineer on the team, a data engineer, and you, you're doing more like domain teams opposed to just, you know, traditional use of the data guys, you, you sit down on that side of the office. So it's really good to see the collaboration in those teams and the, the new ways of working. Yeah, no, and I just linked uh, the talk that you mentioned, which is called from DBA to SRE, showing that journey um, of going. Mm -hmm. And so and so that's the thing is like, there is there is a technological side, there's also the responsibility side. There's the other part of it as well too that I, I, I can't stress enough is working with customers um, and, and and having to take that into account. And it's, it's something that, I, I don't want to say that it isn't for everybody and it's something that can be learned, um, but it's something that's, um, that's, that's not something that's probably going to appear in, you know, in some kind of a technical certification. I think it's something you learn with time and there are all different kinds of customers with, with different ways of looking at things. That's why, you know, asking some of those questions, like, why can't it be a hundred percent? I'm paying, you know, how much am I paying you? Like, uh, you know, this kind of mentality that, that that'll come up. Going back to, to, to Captain, um, just a little more background about the team of people that are working on this, because I think it's always really nice with open source projects to understand more about the makeup of the folks that are working on this and that are adding value, that are making Captain what it is. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that, um, Adam? Obviously, we had, we had Jurgen on, big shout out to him. But the other folks that are on there, what kind of backgrounds do they tend to have? What's the kind of, like, you know, the, the sort of balance that you have there? Yeah, so it, it originally uh, came from people like Jürgen and Andy Grabner, and, um, but now really it is um, open source. It, it's across the world. And, and one of the, so the core captain contributors remain people like Jürgen, um, you know, been there from the beginning, really understand the core concepts of, of, of what the core of captain is. But mm -hmm. as you've seen, the key part to this is that we encourage people to bring their own tooling. So, for example, I have written the Jira service that hangs off the side of Captain. Um, so anyone can contribute their, their service and their tooling because that's the whole point. No one can be an expert in every single integration of every tool. So um, it, it's really interesting to see the breadth of ideas and the breadth of other tooling that people are, are bringing. Brad, you mentioned uh, Argo. We've seen Litmus. We've seen um, K6 getting involved. There's there's a lot of good stuff going on. Yeah, I think that really it provides a really healthy mixture with different perspectives. My question here as well, is that something seen in other open source projects where they say, bring your own tooling? I think as we move into more event-based architecture, you know, with microservices over monolithic, I think it's going to become a trend. So I would start to see more open source tools actually, like we have Argo events. Um, we, we see that as being quite a trend at the moment. So I would say, yes, definitely there'll be more bring your own tools for sure. 
because a lot of people don't want to reinvent the wheel. They know that, you know, um, one, one tool, you know, it's very good. Why should we try and pre pretend that we can make that? And we're seeing this, that's the great thing about open source. It's this, um, this collaboration, this integration, and it, we can do whatever we want because we have the code, you know, it's, it's really good. No, I think it's a great point. And, and, and also as well, because, and I've told this story like 5 million times, when sometimes when people get, because of having so many different tools, I think it kind of makes people open their eyes and see from different perspectives. We actually had a live stream this week that was just about tooling, but the speaker prefaced it by saying, I'm looking at this very much uh, from someone as someone who's, uh, you know, very passionate about GitOps. And so my, my background and my way of looking at things, my objectives, you know, thinking about that, you know, the things that I'm going to be looking for are going to be based on on, on, on this sort of uh, way of looking at things. And obviously other folks are gonna have a different strategy. I think what, what, I, what I've also find interesting about tooling and precisely what came up in that session was the emotional attachment that sometimes goes on to tooling and, um, and seeing very large battles in organizations about whether it's this one or that one. And sometimes that can be about internal power struggles and things of that nature. Um, because at the end of the day, I mean, they are, they're, they're tools and they can be very nice, but I don't want to say they're just tools because people have worked very hard to create them and things of that, uh, of that nature. Um, but it's, but it is quite strong. So I think it's very healthy and once again, open source environment where that, that provides that freedom as, as you rightly said, um, for people to be able to interact with each other there, I guess, next question, what's next on the roadmap? And you'll probably get asked this a lot in your, in your, uh, captain roadshow, um, <laughs> by your world tour, um, what's, what's next on the roadmap for captain? Uh, yeah, so split that into two kind of sides to this, the core um, and then the tooling. So uh, the core will be um, expanding the ability to further split out the control plane versus the execution plane. We want to give uh, people the biggest possible flexibility to bring their own tooling and use that however they see fit. So is that one execution plane? Is it multiple execution planes? What events can you listen for? Uh, more flexibility around that. And then the second part is, I'd very much encourage to your point of, um, you know, I'm from Dynatrace, we've all, we, we have a monitoring and an observability slant to our thinking. Um, so the more viewpoints we can get of what else can we do with Captain? What other tooling can we bring to the mix? How can we push the envelope? Um, you know, in terms of what other tooling can we bring to the mix? What other things can we achieve with this idea of splitting tooling versus process? Um, really, let's, you know, I, I'd encourage you to get involved and, and, and push the boundary on this in terms of the other tooling. Mm -hmm. And someone has asked a question about how, uh, you know, because you did comment on that, but keeping in mind the other established DevOps automation tools, um, is there anything that's kind of like, well, we see where this is going, so we want to keep that in mind so that we don't, so we don't lose a competitive edge. Is there anything in particular that, that uh, has come up along the way or that you're keeping in mind for that roadmap? I'm probably not the right person to ask about that. Someone like Jürgen uh, or Andy Grabner would be the best person to ask about that, to be honest. So I'll abstain from that answer. Well done. Well done. No, and it's, it's not, it's not your job. Like you said, you know, maintainers, they, they're the ones that, that need to have that kind of a vision. And I will say this as well for, for the person who asked that Jurgen's very accessible. He's a very nice person. You can feel free to ask him directly. It's, you're not, it's not, he's not going to uh, 
Um, yeah, it'll definitely, I'm sure it's something that he's thought about more than once. Um, so yeah, that's, it's, it's normal. Um, you know, at the end of the day, there's, there's a very, very large um, ecosystem with lots of different tools that are out there. Um, good. One other thing that I wanted to ask because of doing a little bit of research, and this is always fun, is that I found out that Adam studied music production. Is that correct? <laughs> Where'd you dig that one from? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Your LinkedIn, LinkedIn is very revealing, I must say. No, but that's cool. Yeah. Is, and, what I, and we'll have to talk about this a little bit later because in uh, the CNCF Cloud Native TV, is going to be starting a program called Artist Code where we're going to be interviewing different people that work in tech, but also have some kind of an artistic interest, whether it's music, art, painting, uh, cooking, dance, doesn't matter. Um, just curious is that, Fred, can you tell us a little bit about that? And in any way about things that you learned in music production, how you've applied them in your job? And if there's anything as well too about maybe something that's relevant, even in this case of Captain, um, if you could just share a little bit about that. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Um, well, put me on the spot there. Um, I think, Working with people, uh, that, that's the biggest thing here, because obviously, you know, unless you're, even if you're an electronic artist, um, but as soon as you get in the studio with a band or there's a lot of different opinions, um, there's a lot of different viewpoints, you know, and they're not all right, they're not all wrong. And, and usually the best idea is actually, you know, a combination of all of it. Um, and that has transferred into my job my day-to-day -day job but also mm -hmm. captain it's it's um to, to kind of hark back to what you were saying before about politics and about tooling we're actually running something at the moment where captain is responding to an event but they have two tools responding to the same event and they're basically doing a poc they're saying okay fair enough you you there's internal politics about these mm -hmm. two tools run them both and we'll see which one's better. Yeah. And then and then they can make that fair, informed decision about which one they, they go for. Um, yeah, but I, th I think collaboration is, is really the key. And that's what excites me about the open source community is there's just so many enthusiastic people who have ideas that you've never even thought of. Yeah. That um, you go, yeah, that's that's cool. Let's let's try that. Yeah, I think it's, that's a that's a wonderful answer. And once again, this was not planned. All right, I just was uh, researching a little bit on Adam's LinkedIn. But I think there are several things there that you touched on that are, that are very valuable. And, and also, you know, collaboration can be difficult um, and also very often involves putting, you know, biases aside and, you know, trying to empathize with another person, see where they're coming from. Also being clear about, object, you know, we're talking about bands, like having been in bands and, and I'm not in, I haven't continued with any of them. They've all stopped for whatever reason. But, you know, sometimes it's the right place, but the wrong time or, you know, the right people and the, but the mixture doesn't work out or someone ends up having different plans. There are lots of different things that happen and also being clear about your objectives. Some people just like the idea that they're worth a group of people and that's fine. And also in open source, like there are tons of different ways to contribute. And I always tell people being a friendly person is the easiest way to get involved in open source. And also when you're dealing with folks, you know, just in, in Captain, you probably have people in lots of different time zones, which makes your calls probably very interesting um, or that you have to duplicate it anyway, but that's sort of the nature of it. So I think there's a lot to be learned from that. That's good. I found, I yeah, found, Brad. The, Captain, I found the Captain community really um, welcoming. You know, everyone will, when, when you join, it's like the doc, they'll reach out and say, hey, welcome, glad you're here. How can we help you? They have the help channel. They're really keen to help you learn as well. So it, it was a nice experience. Very, very good. So, Brad, are you going to start a band with Adam? We could. 
we we, we could for the world tour. Yeah, we could learn. Could, I, I, I'm saying a world tour needs a soundtrack. A world tour needs a soundtrack. And Adam, when you were studying music production, it was it for electronic music? Was it traditional recording? What was it? Uh, it was it was music production. So it it, it encompassed both. Um, mm -hmm. My background is electronic stuff. Yep. Um, but I I remember the first day we got put into the the, the studio, uh, not the studio, the kind of the re, uh, the rehearsal room. And the guitarist, I'm not singling out guitarists here, but the guitarist was just like, turn that up to 12 and away I go. And I'm like, so are we recording you or are we recording the band? And he's like, just record me. And that was like my like first day of, of, as you say, collaboration and listening to people and just de-escalating that and going, well, what about these four other people over in this corner? Yeah, that was good fun. No, and then that was before the singer arrived, and then it went up to thirteen instead of twelve. <laughs> so no, no, that's yeah. As as a guitarist, I, I I can understand that, but no, but I think it's I think there's a lot to be said for that, and also Brad with what you mentioned um, about the the very welcoming nature, and you know, and also once again these troubled times we're going through, a little bit of kindness goes a very long way. I think um, it's very refreshing. So that's why these open source spaces make it so easy for these ideas to just start, you know, um, uh, operating and, and, and gaining traction. Um, before we finish, Adam, can I ask one other question? Is there anywhere we can find recordings of your music? No. <laughs> that means, yes, that means I've got a job for the rest of the day is to find Adam's music. <laughs> Now, I encourage you at some point on your world tour to release it, to re-release a track. Um, that could be fun to get to know the other side of Adam. Hey, that's okay. Um, but what, uh, what do you play, Brad? By the way, uh, no, yeah, Brad, I, I can't play. I can't play. But, but he can sing. He, he can sing and he can he can rap. He's a very good, he's yeah. very talented. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We can work with that. He has good taste in music, and I think that's if you don't have good taste in music, you're probably not going to be a very good musician. Or you could be a good performer, but but in, in the sense, like I think also it's it's interesting is that, you know the more music that you listen to, or like the more tools that you interact with, you know, the broader your perspective gets, um, and you really get enriched by that. And so I try not to think that there's any particular kind of music that like I will never listen to. There's some that I might prefer more than others, but I think every kind of music has something to offer you. In the same way that a tool, whether you like it or not, there's something good in that. Um, so try to find that, you know, and don't just uh, you know harp on something because either it's popular or it's not popular or things like that. Um, I think there's definitely something you can learn. So I'm looking forward to the next steps on the world tour, as well as the next steps for what's going to be going on in Captain. If you want to get involved, it's really easy. All right, Adam already mentioned it. Jump in the Slack, introduce yourself. Um, I'm sure they they've got uh, you know first time issues that can be tackled as well, and also just uh, to go to the meetings to to get familiarized. Not a huge commitment, as we said. Just being friendly and ask questions. People, people like that, you know. And and you may have new questions that that will help them keep things in mind. So yeah, it's, I think it's quite easy to get involved. Adam and 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 Brad are also easy to find on LinkedIn. We'll be posting this as well as a follow up. So plenty of opportunities to get involved, gentlemen. I wish you the best of luck on your world tour. Adam, wish me luck as I try to find your music. Um, and <laughs> I'm hoping that we'll be able to see each other sometime in a KubeCon in, in the U.S., sure. in Europe, in, in, in Australia, New Zealand. And anyway, I hope you both enjoy the rest of your day as I am starting mine. Um, thank you very much. It was great having both of you.